Meeting is streaming live on Facebook. Greetings to all of our faithful, weary listener watchers. I want to take full responsibility for all of the delays. I think all of them are my fault. Is that right? The last two? Yeah. Either way, we'll blame it on you because you're the most hardcore patriarchalist. So everything's fault. As a member of the patriarchy, I take full responsibility. Thank you. What a leader. So, yeah. so we finally got together. I, I've, I've, I've bailed twice and caused us to have to reschedule because of my travels and other things. And now we finally had everybody all lined out. Everybody except for one person who was supposed to be here until the 11th hour. So we're hoping he'll join us. But if not, we didn't want to keep anybody in suspense any longer. Oh, Anthony entered the waiting room. Let's there let him go. in. He might have to go. You might have to go at some point um, because he has a friend in town. But we're going to let him lay out his case first um, in case he needs to bounce. Anthony, are you there? Not yet. So until Anthony shows up, obviously, we wanted to talk about the, the, the long-standing controversy with um, free sisters in the Dank Kingdom world and their, their uh, long-standing contention with the patriarchalists, of which I think Dave and I are both team patriarchy to varying degrees. And Anthony, maybe, maybe. Uh, and Titus is definitely a free bro-ish. Yeah, although I'm not, I'm not going to really be representing their views. I, I feel like there, there's a spectrum. So patriarchalism is on the far right, and then you have, um, you have, then you have a ga- full-fledged egalitarians, and then right. you have like the people who really, really, really want to be egalitarians and basically are. Um, but if you really pin them down, you'll finally squeak it out of them that women cannot be lead pastors. Right. Um, and then you have me, which is right balance between all the chaos holding the biblical truth. So, but you keep going further on the spectrum toward egalitarian. And I mean, you've got that there's absolutely no. So, most of my memes are attacking the patriarchy just because that's more fun. <laughs> but but well, it hurts less. We can take it more. You'll, you'll hear uh, <laughs> a little bit about what I actually believe hopefully tonight. I'm actually very eager to hear what uh, what other people's beliefs are. Uh, I'm I'm eager to hear, especially how um, where where we see things the same and where we where we would s- split some hairs. Sure. L- let's. Can, Is can Anthony we, still not here? No. I can you guys hear Anthony. me yet? We oh, can there. hear you, but we can't right. see you. All right, I'll be there in a second. Anthony, we're like Paul on the road. Paul's. Uh, friends on a road to damascus we hear the voice but we see no man now we got him that there he is (laughs) okay so we know you might have to boogie anthony so we wanted to give you the opening monologue to share kind of what your thoughts and feelings are and and we should you know we're going to have to define terms along the line at some point but basically we're talking about the interrelationship between the sexes like what what why are and what how do we navigate god's purpose in in the sense like what does it mean for us to be created as 
God and all those things. So that's, that's the, that's, that's, I think at the heart of what all of us want to be reaching for. Um, and so we want, we want you give you your shot first, Anthony, to take a, take a stab at defining some of those things. Well, that's a, a big order. Um, and I had a lot going on today. I feel like I'm not as well prepared as I'd like to be for this, but the, I think that for, for, in my mind, the fine foundational um, thing that we find in the scripture is that sort of, you know, underlies everything else about human, you know, humans and male and female is that we are, you know, humanity is male and female. So there's not like a prototype human and then a knockoff human or a, um, you know, I, I think, I think it's really important that we, God's vision for humanity was, was male and female and, and that together, together, those, um, the, the two, the two, uh, manifest the image of God and they have to both be there to manifest the image of God, the way he intended humanity to do. And, and the other thing is that humans were created as royal. Did we lose him? I see him frozen. When's he going to get better internet? He said they're running fiber out to the Ozarks. Is that where he lives? Yeah. I don't know if he actually does, but that's what I think of wherever he lives it's it's just one step closer than the moon yeah well he was talking about male and female being created in god's image and and trying to lay a foundation which i, I think is really important because that was a, a concept that would have been fairly revolutionary in the near east well first of all it was revolutionary that that non-kings were created in god's image but the idea that that you know people who are not kings were God's image, but all and but also male and female, I think is is also um, pretty amazing. I'm always a little skeptical when I hear things like that. Like I don't know what the primary source information for that claim is because it seems like a lot of folk religions derive their substance from being created like their gods. Well, I'm, I'm trying to remember the source, but essentially only kings were considered the image of God mm -hmm. in, in that time. I, I don't have sources offhand, but I'm, I think this is fairly well established. Um, and I would think that, that calling a female the image of God would be another step. But I think we'd have to define who we're talking about in regards to that. Mm -hmm. I don't know that's a universal claim. So I've got a flaky a Wi-Fi card here that just took that moment to drop out on us but do you live uh, in the ozarks anthony i do Booyah. i do and they yeah it's it's a, it's a great place to live and they're currently like our phone company is digging around um putting in lots of orange uh conduit they're going to run fiber to all of our houses so um all those problems should be in the in the past soon but anyway yeah, so I think did I drop out just when I was saying that humans are royalty? Yes. Um the the uh the, so 
Yes, I think I think there's. I'm not going to cite any sources here either, but you can look it up um, later. Maybe we can dig some things up and drop them in the show notes. But um, there's a very strong pagan understanding that the that the kings are made in the image of God. Um, the kings represent the gods. They are the image of God. I think the same language is actually used about kings. But then people are on all different levels. There are commoners. There are you know they're you know untouchables depending on your society and and people are not valued the same so so because of that the the jewish claim is actually pretty fundamentally um like radical revolutionary um in genesis that humans are humans male and female together are made in the image of god and interestingly, this comes up again in the imagery of the priests, um, the priests' garments that God very, you know, descri- prescribes in detail in, um, you know, in the preparation for the tabernacle and so on. The, those garments are modeled after the way that the, uh, the uh, Babylonians, I believe it was, dressed their idols. Um, which is again a specific like a symbolic claim that humans are the image of god he doesn't have other idols you don't create something out of wood and create a body for him to manifest himself in the way the pagans did you are the body that god has created to manifest himself in he made that for him and so that's who we are fundamentally is we are representatives of god he put us here on the earth to rule it that's all you know fairly basic stuff i think but but I would see male and female as not being uh, primarily one derived from the other, although that's the way the story's told. There's some element of that there. Um, but like God created m- man to be with woman. Um, and, and there's almost, it's almost as if the story is highlighting the fact that he, you start out with man alone and you demonstrate that it wasn't good that way um which you know gives gives a repudiation to any theology in the future that would see men as self-sufficient um to manifest god uh with with women just being passive recipients of that um so so i believe that within that man and woman being jointly uh, the image of god that there's also roles and and created differences between us that that line up with a pattern i i wouldn't say a prescription but a pattern in creation that we would generally expect to see healthy um, men and women fall into. Um, it's really, really important. I think I, I can expound on that later if we have a chance, but that's all I'm going to say right now. I'm not going to go into detail about that pattern, but I think it's really important to understand that when there's a pattern in creation, it doesn't mean that outliers don't exist. And it doesn't mean that outliers are morally wrong. Um, and this is where I think a lot of you know, chaotic, 
a lot of strife comes into the discussion about these things is because your more fundamentalist types will take a pattern they think they see and they'll make that a prescription for every human being and they'll turn you into a second class Christian if you don't manifest that pattern exactly as they expect to see it. Um, we do not see that happening in the Old Testament with male and female roles. We see outliers. Um, in the Old Testament, we see outliers, I would, I would say, in the New Testament as well. But there are some notable examples, like, like the case of Deborah and Barak, um, where Deborah leads, Deborah is judging Israel, and Barak's like, unwillingness to step up is highlighted in that story. And the actions of Deborah and Jael in winning the battle are celebrated. These women are not, are not in any way, there's nothing in the story to reflect on them as having failed. And it's quite the contrary. They've, they've succeeded in helping the Lord's armies win a battle. But, but and, and God clearly strengthened them for the task. But Barak is shamed by that series of events because he was supposed to be leading in that battle. He was called to lead. He didn't step up. And so God called the women. And, and so those women are celebrated for stepping into a void that was not part of their normal pattern of their culture. And I would argue of created, created male and female roles. Um, and, and that's a really important distinction. There are outliers and the outliers are not evil. Um, but there is also a created pattern. And when we want to describe, say, what, you know, what a certain variety of tree looks like, we don't take one that happens to be growing on a hillside and has caught, you know, a strong wind from one direction and its branches are configured differently than most trees of that variety and say, okay, this is the one we're going to put into the guidebook. We, we, but that doesn't mean we look at it and say, well, that's not a legitimate, you know, ponderosa pine that's just you know that's something else or that thing shouldn't be growing like that it's adapted to its environment it's a good thing it's made good but it isn't a representative of the pat of the of the of the creation pattern it's and so and so i think when we are prepared to celebrate the goodness of of every kind of male and female who are living in God's, you know, into God's will for them as well as they can, and whose way of living that out may, you know, I think there are bounds, there are boundaries within scripture, but there is a broad range of ways that we can live out what it means to be male and female. Um, and some of those ways are stereotypically, you know, what we think of as masculine and feminine, and some of them are not. And I believe that within the boundaries of God's moral um, code, those are all good. And that means that, that heavy-handed prescriptions um, that make, you know, for, for women staying within certain boundary, boundaries of ways of behaving or, or, um, or roles in the home or whatever, um, that tend to make someone who doesn't fit that stereotype less than, um, 
are, I think they're ungodly. I don't think they celebrate the variation that God allowed to exist in creation, the variation that arises from our, from our different environments and backgrounds and from the dysfunctional situations that we often find ourselves in. I mean, the obvious example is a woman who's in a family where the husband is an unbeliever and he doesn't have any interest in spiritual leadership of the family. Um, I think that's his job. It would be his job if he was a believer. Um, and we're talking, you know, we have to define leadership and all that, but, but if he's not stepping up to the plate, that's her job. And, and, and it's her job in any case to share that leadership with him to, to be a joint heir with Christ and a joint, um, you know, the, a, a queen of the family alongside, alongside the father and husband. So yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty off the cuff, but that's kind of my framework for, for looking at these things. Um, and, and I'll let you guys jump off from there and um, push back or whatever. I would, I'd have, we could talk about several questions I'd have that I'd want some clarification and definition, but I'd love to jump in and just hear from Blanky. How do you view these issues? Uh, it's good just to hear everybody kind of give a, uh, an introduction just to hear where people are coming from and what, what the central thoughts that they approach the issue with are. So where are you coming from, Blank? Yeah, um, I guess I'd start out by saying that probably... 85 probably as much as 95 percent of what he said i would i would agree with i think uh anthony especially your ideas about outliers are super powerful and something that um, in these conversations needs to be um addressed and i don't know if i'd go so far as to say front and center but um definitely a big part of the conversation because that's where so much of the um that's where so much so much of the painful stuff comes from mm -hmm. is the fact that we have outliers who've been crushed and squashed <laughs> down because they don't meet the the stereotypical roles that sometimes are even just culturally imposed but um with that said like where i want to come from in 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 my approach here is simply going to be this is my view of the pattern. I'm, I'm aware there are outliers and so on, but um, I think we would all four agree that using outliers to establish a pattern is a, is a really bad way to go about it. Um, and and I feel like that does happen a lot of times in these conversations. Is you make a you make some type of statement that is the normative statement, and immediately people point to the outliers to prove that your statement is you know is problematic and. That's where I have an issue. So my basic view, and I've, I've done some lives on this. Some of you may have already watched them. So if you have, you've heard some of these thoughts before. But um, I'm not, I'm going to start out by saying, unlike Matthew, I'm not stuck on the term patriarchy. The, the main reason why I use it is because um, it's, it's a word everybody knows what it means, or at least thinks they do. And um, if I were to call myself something else besides patriarchal, and I get questioned on what I actually believe, then I'm going to get told well, I'm actually teaching patriarchal ideas. And so now not only am I a patriarchalist, I'm also a lying patriarchalist. So I'd rather just say this is this is what it is. I realize there's problematic patriarchy out there. 
but there's problematic just about everything out there. And so um, the, the fact that, that something is used to abuse people or beat people down or that it makes room for abuse um, doesn't discount whether or not that thing is true. I tend to focus my views in this discussion on the roles of men and women, specifically within the marriage relationship. Um, I think we have a lot more basis in scripture for formulating and understanding what that relationship is supposed to look like um, than we do for overall um, gender relations outside, specifically that marriage connection, which I think is, I think is pretty closely prescribed in scripture. Um, I think there's a there's an order that's that's given there in scripture in a number of different places. Um, the most basic passage being Ephesians five, but then there's others, First um, Corinthians and so forth. Um, I want to start out with the the focus that the Bible says in um, Genesis two: uh, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, shall be joined to his wife, and they two should be called one flesh. And that is the core of understanding what biblical headship, my preferred term, biblical headship, is about. Is this concept that you have two things that are different. You have male and female that are different that come together and form a new thing. Um, the, I, I like the Latin word tertium quid. It means a thing that is a, a, a new class of thing. It's a, a third thing. And that's what's happening within marriage is there's a subsuming of the individual persons into a new, a new thing. They become a new organism. I mean, that's really important because when you hear your, um, take Doug Phelps's for instance, and, and these type of, of people that are, that are teaching what I would view as really toxic, ugly versions of patriarchy, it's man-centric. And so basically, the, it's, it's assumed that the wife and her personhood and her identity is subsumed into him. And biblically, that's not what's happening. Biblically, what's happening is there's both of them are subsumed into something larger than themselves, which is the marriage. And for the purpose of this discussion, I'm going to use three terms. I'm going to use body, head, and person. Um, and when I use person, I'm referring to the whole person that is, that is the new oneness that's created in marriage. Everything in marriage is supposed to be for the good of the whole marriage person, not for the good of the head, not for the good of the body, but for the good of that whole person. And when you realize that as a, as a husband and wife come together, they both have a role within that. The head and the body work together to do everything. And if you think about that as a, as a human, um, you have a head and you have a body and those two things are working together. If I walk over to the couch and sit down, I, I don't, you know, you don't say, well, which one did that? Did your head do that or your body do that? Well, I did it. My whole self did it. It was, it was something that, yeah, I guess, we all thought it was a good plan, so we went ahead and did that. And everything within the marriage relationship that I see as taught in scripture falls into that understanding of the body, of a whole body. It's a full person. And so the husband is given the job to care for, to, 
to love, to nourish, to cherish, all these things. And the wife is given a job to cooperate with, submit to, worship, not worship, sorry, work with the husband. Um, that was Freudian slip, I guess. But uh, so this, this definitely not worship the husband, but they, the two become one. And so if you have a body where part of the body is not acting in good, in the best interest of the rest of the body, the head is not acting in the best interest of the body, takes, for instance, somebody that gets in their head that they should run out into traffic, we call that an insane person. They're acting in a way that they're putting themselves in danger. Um, if we have somebody whose brain is not responding to the, the needs of the body, um, we call that a leprous person. We, it's, there's, there's injuries that happen, and we see people um, in their marriages that their fingers and toes of the body are falling off, metaphorically speaking. And it's because there's not a care there that there's a, a leprous relationship that the body's, the head is not receiving from the needs of the body. This is what I need. This is what's going on. And there's an understanding in my view of biblical headship of that, that oneness, that there's two two separate people who become one organism and work together, not, not for the good of him or the good of her, but for the good of them. Him and her become them. Um, and I think that has to be central. Anything that we talk about with headship has to come with that understanding with it. And that's why I don't talk in terms of power and power over people. And people say, well, does the husband have the right to tell his wife to whatever, put herself in danger? And, and it, frankly, to me, that's like asking, well, do you have the ability to put your arm in a wood chipper? Well, yeah, I do, I guess. But why would you do that? That's insane. You're an insane person at that point if you're going around putting your arms in wood chippers. I mean, I guess you can only do that twice, really. But um, you're just, you can't do that. And, and the fact that we're even having a discussion about whether or not I have the power over my body to put... Um, to put my arm in a wood chipper shows like there's something wrong with this person. Something is wrong here. And so often when we have these conversations about headship, immediately the, the, that's where the talk veers. Well, what about who's, who's got the power? Who's wielding the power? Um, and this has happened in my marriage where we've made a decision. We've made a move. We've done this or that. And I've had people privately come to my wife and say, well, what do you think about this? You said, what do you mean when I think about this? This is something we came to together. This is something we're in together. Like it's what we're doing. It's not his idea or my idea. This is our idea. But that's worked out in a relationship that's pictured, which is that the head, me, is as Christ loving, nourishing, treating her like she is my own body. When she hurts, I hurt. When she needs, I need. When she's hungry, I'm hungry. All the things that she needs become my needs and vice versa. And if you don't have, if you don't have that as your understanding of all the rest of what Paul has to say, of course you're going to leave room for abuse. Of course you're going to leave room for, for men to be um, wicked, vile, abusive, power-hungry people. But that's the result of ignoring the basic premise that Paul says, which is that two are one, and whoever loves his wife loves himself. So that's, I guess that's my that's my view of, of headship. And then with that, I do believe everything it says.
husbands love your wives wives submit to your husband as uh as the christ to the church as the church to christ as the church is subject to christ so let the wife be to your husband in all things and i don't think there's any way around that but it's all within the context of of that one flesh relationship and if you have a woman that's in this one flesh relationship where her husband is not taking care of her i would be the first person in line to tell her you know your husband does not have a right to stick his arm in a wood chipper what he's doing is disordered and wrong and not according to the word of God. And if we can't be saying that, then yes, we've got, we've got toxic patriarchy. So there's a lot of other stuff we could go into as far as roles of men and women. But I want to make this kind of my opening statement. This is, to me, the core of what it means to believe in biblical headship. So I'm done. I'm going to go mute now. Somebody else can go. I think that's a good distinction to make because I was going to ask you, like, the problem is, like, I, I I, can go a long way with everything you said. I think I think the, the, the difference is my scope is a little more encompassing than, than, okay, than the way you would limit those parameters. But, but the principle is the same. But the problem is that you got me now. Can you hear me? Yeah. I, I was saying, I, I think I, we'll talk about what, where, where we may split some hairs, but the problem I was going to raise is that there's so very many um, wood chippered arms walking around. And I think that's where, that's where a lot of the pushback comes from is that I, I think that we should develop our principles around ideals as well, but we have to have some kind of recourse. And I think that mm -hmm. analysis, analysis in the end is, is a right way To, to end that, that you're a crazy person walking around hacking on your body with a sane asylum and get you some help or stick your so that's interesting about, uh, perspective there, Titus. Um, you were cutting out for a bit, but I think you just asked me to give my perspective. Okay. Um, well, Blanky Dave used the term toxic patriarchy at the end there, so I guess he concedes defeat. Uh, so that was exciting to hear. Um, I, I actually like what both of you said a lot, um, Anthony and David. And I think I'm, I'm going to try to turn the, the podcast a little bit into some of the more controversial things. Because Matthew mentioned at the beginning that, you know, he's, he's put his view out there enough that, you know, we're, we're all three going to have opening statements, but he's not too concerned about that for him. Um, so I'll, I'll let my my spiel be kind of what turns the conversation to some of the sticky issues, I guess. Um, I wanted to start by by addressing the term patriarchal. Um, I think it's an enormously unhelpful term. I, I know what you guys mean when you use it. I know if you go to the etymology of the word, it, it means father lead, and you believe that fathers should lead. Sure. But that's not really the way the – my dogs are trying to get in. Um, that's not really the way the English language word, works. Like words evolve and take on new meanings. And when people hear the term patriarchal, it's almost always with a negative association. And I just don't think that's a, a great way to build bridges. So I'd be curious um, when we open up the conversation why, why you wouldn't just use the term complementarian, um, which, which also isn't, isn't really viewed with, with a great amount of joy, but it's better. <laughs> like it's going to build more bridges. Um, 
So just to just to put my views out there, okay, on 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 what you'll probably uh, drill me on. So I do think there is more of an emphasis in a marriage on the wife submitting than on the husband submitting. I do think that the the verse that says submit to each to one another does refer also to husbands. Uh, and I know I think that could go both ways. I've heard your response to that, David, and I understand it, but I still think that um, that. And I think it could go both ways. I still think that it does apply to husbands. So I, I do believe in mutual submission. However, I do see more of an emphasis on the wife submitting, certainly, than on, on the husband. I, I don't know how you can get around that. Now, I was having a conversation with, with Matthew's friend, Drew, earlier today about this. And, and I, I was, he, he was having a problem with me saying, well, therefore, because the, women, the wife needs to submit more to the man, therefore, the man needs to lead the marriage or lead the home. And I was like, why? That seems like an easy thing to infer. And he pointed out that what, what Paul prescribes is actually kind of, um, kind of takes you by surprise. Like he says, wives submit, everyone's like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then he turns to the husband and says, you love her like Christ does the church. Like you serve her, you get on your knees and wash your feet. And so that, that's about as much as I think the scripture says about marriage is, is, is you guys submit to each other, there's more of an emphasis on the wife submitting and, and you husbands, like you, you better be loving and serving your wives. Um, that's really, really important. So now when it comes to, I'm cool to, with that up to this point, we're, we're hundred percent, bro. Okay, sweet. Wow. You, but you don't believe in mutual submission. Um, I, I think that's a dumb term. I don't think that I don't, so, so I don't, I, I was going to get to this. I don't care what, what term you use for right. it. As long as we're doing the same thing. Um, now in churches, you know, it follows the way it's this whole thing with women not speaking or asking questions. Our church, our followers, the way church in Richmond, the women are allowed to ask questions. And I, I wanted to drill Matthew on that at some point. But, yeah, I do think that, that there is a gendered role, especially for teaching authoritatively in, in, in the church and that that's what? for men only. Why would that be? Because the scripture says that women are not permitted to teach or hold authority over a man. Do we have any idea what that should be? I, I, I don't know. <laughs> you yeah. can, you can. So I think what you're getting at, I mean, to me, it's not intuitive. Like, I don't think that there's anything about a woman's DNA that makes her unfit to teach. In fact, there's a lot of women who I would much rather hear teach and preach than men. But I think what you're getting at is like the way Paul roots it in um, cosmic realities and divine realities. And that's actually why I don't think it's simply cultural. When something is rooted in, in something cosmic or divine as its foundation, I think that's Paul specifically trying to root it in something other than culture. And I think that goes for the head covering as well. Um, Man, we're knocking them out of the park. We are just like <laughs> simpatico. Now, I, now I, don't know about, I don't know about eternal subordination of the sun. And I, I think some, like the analogy is certainly there of, of the son submitting to the father and church submitting to the son and then than man and woman and that that analogy and that is certainly there now but i would say it's just that it's an analogy you can't press it too far like for example dave talked about the head and the body and gave a nice marriage sermon which is great but if you press that so too far like it can be problematic in other words like my arm i can't move this arm without my head telling it to move and and my wife Brenna can certainly do things without me telling her to do it. Like some of these analogies can be taken to extremes. And I think 
that's something to, to, to keep in mind as well. Um, now, when it comes to work in society, I really don't care. Like I, there, there's a refugee resettlement program that I'm helping in Charlottesville and women lead it. And I'm joyfully coming under, underneath their, their headship and leadership there. And, and I think they're doing a great job. So that's not really, um, I, don't, I don't think is, is really important for us to fight that battle. Um, so I wanted to give an example of, of how I think that, like I said earlier, the terms we use is not as important to me as actually what, what would take place in a marriage relationship. So for example, my wife, Brenna, is not vaccinated. And I asked her if I could use this example, and she said yes. Um, she's not vaccinated. Now, if, if I really followed what, what I've heard from you, Dave, to the extreme, and, and she doesn't need to submit to me, or sorry, I don't need to submit to her because submit to one another is, is a broad statement, and then it gives the specifics of it later. If that's true, that there's no such thing as mutual submission, my only job is to love her, okay? Well, I, I believe that she would be more protected if she was vaccinated. So if I really love her, I will tell her against her will to get vaccinated. And her job is to submit to my loving leadership. Now, it, if that's the case, like if you, and, and maybe I'll, I'll just ask you straight up, do you think that that is within my, my right to tell her to get vaccinated? Because if so, I think I, I have a real problem with that. I think that that would be really messed up for me to do that. Well, I guess my response to that would simply be, if you're forcing your wife to do anything against her will, you're doing it wrong. Like that. But what's submission? So your definition, your definition of submission, therefore, is not doing something against your will, right? Right. According right. It's, okay. not, it's not submitting. Like submitting means to place yourself under order, under, under whatever the order is. And so if you tell her, this is what I want you to do, like and she doesn't have a choice and she's coerced into doing it um however that coercion is happening like that's not that's not that's not in my opinion that's not true submission like that's that's like saying that um i donated money to the mugger no i didn't donate money to the mugger i gave it to him because i had to like submission it's it's a principle it's a it's this picture of coming together um, where she looks to you and she says, hey, I respect your opinion. I value what you have to say, but you're both, you're cognizant of her needs. And if, I guess if that's what you mean by mutual submission, well then, yeah, you're going to, you're going to have a conversation until you've both come to a point as a person, a marriage person, that this is what is best for us as a, as a unit. And that might be her not being vaccinated, that might be her getting vaccinated, depends on what the goals of your marriage are, depends on what your value system within your marriage are. But definitely, um, this is not, well, you know, I command you to go get vaccinated and she's just got to suck it up. I don't, I don't, like, I don't see the, um, I'm not saying that I can't ever imagine a situation that was so important to the husband that he'd look at his wife and say, look, I feel like this is so important. I just got to ask you to do it, even though you hate to do it. I just got to ask you to do it because it's that important. I'm sure that situation could maybe exist, but you're going to run into that one time in 50 years. Like that's, that is not the norm. And that is not the way that a marriage is supposed to operate. Like it's supposed to be you and your body 
head and body working together as a unit so that whatever she does, she's doing because either she realizes it's important or else she feels like the, the explanations that you've given are so valuable that even though are so you know worth listening to, that even though that wouldn't be her choice, she's willing to do it because she trusts you. But it's sure. never the result that she's doing it because she feels like she has to do it or she's going to be damn it or something. Yeah. Like, if that's where you're, me, if that's what's happening, you're doing it wrong. Let me take a crack at it, Dave. So I just spoke on this in Minneapolis and the, and the way I, the way I explained submission and this will work for my premise in, in this, in this discussion is that if we start with first Corinthians and you can start in a lot of places, you can start in Genesis, but it kind of gets summed up in, in the Corinthian headship passage. Uh, and this is why I think it's appropriate to look at marriage in particular uh, as a more specific case study than gender in general. When you look at that analogy, the, the process that Paul puts out in, in the Corinthian passage is that what, what the father is to the son, man is to Christ, woman is to man. And that's very much in the sense of an order of creation. So I, I think that the Trinity is an important place to begin looking at why gender works the way it does. Because if you understand the Trinity, I think in a classic sense, not in a more modern egalitarian sense, but in the classic sense of the Trinity, in that the son is derived from the father and the spirit is that both the son and the spirit are derived from the father. In other words, they're all one essence. They're all eternal. But if you don't have the father, then you don't have a son. Like if you start with the analogy and against Praxius that the fountain out of the fountain, the water comes forth and leads into a stream and the stream leads into a pond or light coming from the sun or a tree coming from a root, like in all these analogies, there's a, a there's a first source and derivatives and if you make those eternal that's a good analogy for the trinity so if the fountain so, always sorry that? to interrupt but the, the bible literally says that man comes from woman like it's literally said that. In, in that same passage he says well, well let me get there it's the same okay. passage i'm talking about so it's it's wrapping around but 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 let's look at let's let's start from the beginning so if we start with the Trinity, like the one is derived from the other, and that's how you create an order, not see, there's a problem in English in that we, we conflate the term command and order, like order just means like an order, like first, second, third, fourth, fifth, like in the Trinity sense, the one comes from the other. And in all of the Corinthian list, they derive from the one above. So that's why the, the Genesis account is so important in Paul's whole theology about gender is because he sees God's initial creation of Adam first and the creation of woman second. That's an order. The father is first or primary is a better because first is chronological. The father's primary and the son comes from him and man comes from him and woman comes from him. And in that sense, you, when, what you have with submission is an is a, a, a way to reconcile, a way to set up an order for things to work. And so primarily submission orders 
are a way of resolving potential conflict. And this makes people very uncomfortable, but I think it's, it, it's literally what the Bible teaches about authority and why it's there and why, why it's such a universally recognized thing around Jesus and his ministry is that authority is an important concept and authority and order are, are the, the, they're principles that ride together in the same car. And so, <clears throat> so when you list those things out, so one, two, three, four, father, son, man, woman, like Paul does, the one comes from the other. Now, but submission never, never comes from the top down. God never made Jesus do anything. And Jesus has never, in my 20 years of knowing him, never made me do anything. And I can't ever make my wife do anything either. In all of those cases, when you look at submission, it's the principle of choosing to come under. Submission always starts from below and works its way up. When it starts from above and works its way down, it's called something entirely different. It's called coercion. And coercion uses force. And, and submission is a resignation of will. And so wherever force is being applied from the top down, you have a coercive structure. So wherever you have husbands, tongue, wives, you must do X, Y, or Z. I don't care what it is. That if, if they're relying on force to accomplish that will, that's not a Christian perspective that doesn't happen in in any christian theological framework it can't because coercion is the way the world works not the way the kingdom works and so in, just, just if i could have you clarify and you're not just talking here about physical force you're right. talking about you're talking about any form of coercion where you're going to pay some type of penalty for up for for displeasing me by failing to come under right so when you see Jesus walking around in his ministry, it's not that he can't speak truth. It's just that he has no force to compel. So when he sees the rich young ruler, he can lay out a command, go and sell all that you have and give to the poor. And he has zero power to force him to do so. There's nothing that he's compelling the rich young ruler to do that with. He can do it or he cannot do it. If he does it, he'll find the blessings of walking in that order. If he doesn't, he'll have to find his own way. And that's how these orders always work. It's always that case. So, so would your wife be better following what you think? Maybe, maybe not. Would, is it something that doesn't matter? Maybe, maybe not. Those are things you guys have to work out. But the fact remains that a proper view of this kind of this style of headship of leadership, the way that Christ models, is that submission always is a willful choice from, from looking below to above, never coercive power from above coming down. That's the world, always. Okay, um, that's, I, I wish that I could sit in for the rest of this, but my guests are here, so do you all mind if I um, give Please. a little feedback on what's happened so far, and then I'm going to yeah go for drop it. out, and you can critique me um, while I'm not here. But uh, the, I, I think I, I like a lot of what you said there, Matthew. I think one of the really key things that was kind of in the gaps um, that, that needs to be highlighted because of the abuses uh, of the idea of the created or the, the distortions of it that are used within toxic patriarchy. Um, is this idea that when submission is offered, it's offered because of, like, this is inherent in the nature of the father and the son um, and in their relationship. 
It's, it's because the father is who he is that the son can have that kind of um, friction-free su um, submission, that that relationship between the father and son can be that way. And, and where the apostle says, um, submit yourselves to or be persuaded by those who have the rule over you, if you read the, take the King James reading, um, he says, because they watch for your souls as those who need to give account, make it easy for them so they can, I'm paraphrasing, so they can do it joyfully. Um, he specifically in that passage points out, the, he says that the reason for um, submitting, which again is a voluntary thing, he's requesting it of them, um, is because of the nature of their leaders. It's not because because the position exists but it's because you have this kind of leaders um who are who are looking out for your souls and therefore it's possible to have that kind of relationship with them and this is why the son has that kind of relationship with the father this is why the church can have the kind of submissive relationship it does with christ because christ is trustworthy the trustworthiness of the one being submitted to is the other side of this equation if someone doesn't trust me, if my wife, for example, doesn't trust me, then she cannot submit of her own free will. She's go the only reason she would submit to something where she thought I was leading in a wrong direction um, would be because of some form of coercion if she didn't if she doesn't trust me. Um, and so and that's why that the why the the husband is told to serve and honor and and cherish and nurture protect his wife the way christ does the church because it's that christ-like nature that actually makes one worthy of free submission and free submission is something that someone is going to want to offer up when you are providing Christ-like leadership, um, it's part of it. It's 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 a dual thing, and so and and the same thing goes for you know Christ-like leadership. Christ doesn't, you know, force his leadership on people who don't want to follow him. Um, they make their choice about that, and and so so you cannot lead if you don't have a follower that's that's in on the project that's that's willingly taking that role and you cannot follow of your free will if you don't have a leader that's made himself trustworthy um so so this this is really really key to to smashing the abuses of of the scripture in these kinds of discussions because um, when, you know, some of the work that, that I'm trying to do in my, some of, some of, you know, some of our friends and, and some of you as well, I think, um, in domestic violence and confronting it and domestic abuse, um, in Christian circles is, is based on an understanding of a created order in which, there's not an understanding that this only works as a whole relationship, 
like D David was talking about, but rather people are being told, here's your role. You do this role regardless what someone else in the, in the relationship is doing. Um, and, and that's simply not possible. Those roles only work if they're both happening. And, and so if we, if, if we just stop teaching um, the idea that these roles can be independent, that, that, that leadership and submission as the scripture teaches are something that one can do by themselves, um, then a lot of these abuses evaporate um, and we get, and, and, and we get harmony and, and um, we get, we get a, you know, one thing, like David said, we get a marriage that works like that, that reflects the nature of the father and the son where nobody's being subjugated. Um, I think we need to, we need to, I think the word that is used in abusive um, takes on this, the, the, de the definition that's poured into the word submission is, would more properly be the word subjugation. That's what people are talking about. And there's no place in Christianity for anyone to subjugate anyone else. Um, all like, like Matthew said, I think that's beautifully put. Everything goes, all the submission goes upward voluntarily and nurture and love and support and protection flows downward um, to those who want it and is not forced on those who don't. Um, and that's, and that's the framework I think the scripture lays out. So pick it up and take it from there, guys. Yeah. Could, right. could I just ask a Good couple night, of bro. before you go? Or are you uh, sure, sure. I'll take the time to I'll take the time to answer some. Okay. Yeah. Well, just just a couple. Um, number one is I guess I would take a little bit issue with what you said as far as uh, submission is willingly given. Um, because it's not submitting if you want to do it. Like that the, the reason submission exists is because there's a there's a, a clash between wills and you see that in in the garden where jesus submits to the will of the father he doesn't want to like from a from a human perspective but he's willing to and i think that's what you're saying you're talking about a willingness that even though this isn't my way because i trust you and because i believe you had my good in mind I'm willing to lay aside what would be what I would want to do. Is that so? So yes, I guess in an ideal, you know, in in, in the in, in the platonic ideal of the marriage relationship, um, it might work that way. But for me, um, I'm, the reality in my marriage, the way it works out, is that. Um, there are times, you know, when one or the other of us doesn't necessarily approve of the choices the other one is making. Mm -hmm. Um, and we choose to let that go. Like we're, we're, you know, we are, we are still somehow individual people on one level. Um, mm -hmm. even though we're also part of one thing and, and, and so I have never run into that moment where where i say okay you don't want to do this but i'm going to ask you to 
as you know, where, where I have to basically pull rank. I'm, I'm like, not telling, I'm asking you to do <laughs> Yes. Like I've never had to pull rank and I never intend to do sure. so. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so because I don't think it's that kind of a thing. Um, and, and Abigail doesn't want to take the leadership in our home. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's, you know, I guess maybe there would be, I, I can't really picture another situation than that because I've not been in one. But what I, I, I think what I, I think what we, we need to temper that idea of like Jesus in the garden with the fact that um, the relationship, the level of that relationship, the, the degree to which um, a wife can trust her husband is tempered by the degree to which the husband can be like Christ. Um, so, so I'm if if, I, if I'm if I'm hearing, what's that? If I could restate what I'm hearing you say, basically, what I'm hearing you say is, uh, imagine uh, you know a continuum or whatever, where you have on one side you have the ultimate. Um, the ultimate trust of Christ in his father, because his father is perfect and Christ Mm -hmm. is perfect. And that makes room then for the radical submission of Christ Mm -hmm. to lay down his very life. Mm -hmm. But if you're on the other end of that scale and there's very little trust because the, the care and the love and the nurtures there, there's not going to be as, as high of a level of ability to submit to that Mm -hmm. because the, because the, that level of trust isn't there. Is that, is that kind of what you're saying? Right, right. Because submission is is voluntary, because it's willing. Um, then, in the absence of, if there really is an absence of coercion, um, the trust is uh, the trust and the and the submission is only going to come up to the level of worthiness of mm-hmm. the object of that submission. Mm-hmm. And my level of worthiness, probably on this side of of uh, eternity, is not going to be one hundred percent. I'm not. I, I'm certainly not, you know, the ideal, perfect reflection of Christ now. And so it would be absurd and ir, like it'd be logically um, impossible for my wife to offer 100% submission to me um, because I'm not 100% trustworthy. I don't 100% reflect Christ, so our relationship cannot 100% reflect the relationship between Christ and the church. Um, but again, we're point. There's an ideal. There's an mm-hmm. ideal where there's this. We're working toward it. That's what that's what the apostle is holding up. Um, as each each one does their part, it's a virtuous cycle that feeds itself, and the opposite is true as well. If I begin to rely on, you know, if I begin to reach out, for, you read my wife's mail, as our friend Chris Moles says, and, and um, you know, start reading all the verses that are for her and um, relying on that to get us, get us through um, strife or, or, con- or to resolve conflicts, um, then my level of trustworthiness is going to drop. Her ability to submit is not going to rise. I may be able to rely on some level of subjugation, but that's not going to create a relationship that reflects Christ in the church. And so it's, and it's, and so that, that goes the other way. So, so we're looking for a spiral for a virtuous spiral toward 
something that looks more and more and more like the relationship between the father and son and Christ and the church, I think. So this I think that's a great that, way to put it. So this depiction that Paul has there in Ephesians 5 is a is not so much a command as a here's here's the order here's what it's supposed to look like and the two of you in cooperation with each other are to work toward that perfect ideal of the perfect submission the perfect love and those two aren't happening necessarily independently of each other but Mm -hmm. there's a uh, there's it's it's a um, I use the term in one of my lives in Ouroboros, this, this uh, thing that's continually feeding on itself. Uh-huh. And then obviously men as the head, the command is like, you're the ones that are driving this. It's your responsibility to be pouring the love that, that raises the trust to bring the submission that makes the whole thing turn. You're, you're muted, muted, Anthony. We know sociologically that, I, at least I believe the data demonstrates this, that women look for men who are reliable and trustworthy. Um, mm-hmm. Women want, you know, again, there are outliers, um, but they don't erase the pattern that, in general, that's the kind of person your wife wants to be with. Um, that's the kind of, like, she doesn't want, in general, wives if they're given the opportunity to live with someone who's trustworthy, protective, strong, um, nurturing, you know, listens when she needs to listen, um, you know, empowers her in every way possible. Um, like a woman who wants to, who wants to be with someone like that. These are, these are, and, and, and that's what the leadership role actually means is that, your my character should actually naturally draw out the response in uh, my character as a man should draw out the response in a woman um that is that that tends toward that ideal relationship um if if she's swimming upstream to love me the way the scripture teaches then at least if you know if that's the rule that she's swimming upstream then I'm doing something really wrong and I need to, Mm -hmm. again, not read her mail, but pay attention to what's going on with me. I think that I I really appreciate that whole notion of we're either in our relationships as husbands and wives, we're either perpetuating a more, more Christ-like model or, or we're, we're, we're downward spiraling in, in ever increasing difficulty what the only the only caveat i would add and i know why we say it because because uh, abuse has been perpetuated like by this notion that you know if your husband is a malevolent tyrant monster if you just submit enough everything will go well with you and that's terrible the church and and the authorities and a lot of other people ought to be in, intervening in those situations even if he's just a jerk, the church should be intervening in those situations. But I will say this. I think that we do have to leave room for the opportunity to minister to each other in weakness, especially in marriage. Like it, it has been the case that 
my loving leadership has brought my wife into a better form of submission with the agenda of the family and us forward. And it has been the case that her gentle submission has pulled me back from from wrong thinking, like we have an ability to affect and administer one another. And Peter speaks specifically to this. I don't think Peter is condoning abuse. I don't think Peter is pointing out Sarah's example because he wants women to be doormats. But I do think that we do have, we have an opportunity and a grace, especially in our marriages to use our particular path, our particular perspective as men or women to minister in the marriage. That doesn't, that doesn't exonerate anybody's it doesn't exonerate women from, from being callous and not listening to anybody and running off their own ways. And it doesn't exonerate men from being tyrants and jerks, but we can minister to one another. You need one more, one more thing um, before I go to, to add to that idea of the virtuous or vicious spiral is that there's something at the bottom of that spiral as well. Like we are actually being formed into the image of the demonic or to the image of the divine. And that's really right. important for, for um, you know, being that we are all men on this podcast, for men to be aware of is that when you resort to coercive, um, to coercion, to, to forcing, to overriding Force. the will, yeah, to overriding the will of someone else because you're bigger, faster, have a better social position, you know, the church is going to back you up, whatever it is, um, when we resort to that, we are doing what Satan does. Um, we it's are antichrist. Yes, yes, it is antichrist. And we are moving the relationship down toward the abyss instead of up toward the heavens. And so, <clears throat> and, and that's, that's really, really important to understand because when that happens, um, the more we do that, the more openings we have in our lives for all kinds of other, you know, weeds, um, of sin and things to grow. And that's why when you find coercive, um, coercive, abusive relationships, you virtually always find all manner of, of, uh, you know, more commonly recognized sexual immorality and, and things like that right alongside it. I've never heard of those things existing independently. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I've never heard, I've never heard of that kind of authority existing in a clean, in a morally clean life otherwise, um, because you are, you are playing, playing in, in the devil's playground when, when you use authority in, in the way that the devil does to take away people's freedom of choice right. to, to, to get what you want. So, so um, if, and I know you got to go, so um, I don't want to. I won't hold you further. Um, maybe this is, uh, maybe one of the other two can answer if you want to. So then like take the two extremes. Okay. So let's take the, the bad actor husband who, um, who we're all familiar with, you know, you have to listen to me because the Bible says it. And so you have to, whatever it is, you know, the incredibly common story we've all heard a thousand times, no matter how much she, she submits, it's not going to change their, their marriage for the better. In fact, it's probably going to drag it down further. Um, would we also say that, that the other is true, that uh, you know, if you had the perfect self-sacrificing husband, but you have a wife that is, that is um, completely self-serving and he's pouring that into her, um, that it would have the same deadening effect? Or is that 
are those two is one of those things not like the other um hey i think i know where you were going with that but somebody was ringing a phone next to me so um were you asking david if that um if a husband that's using coercive destructive authority um damages his wife's spiritual life um damages his well, that's good. That's obvious. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, so we look at a wife and say, if your husband is being abusive and, and horrible, you submitting to him is enablement. And it's going to, it's going to, it's not going to raise the marriage. Like you just do your part and somehow it's going to make him better. It's right. not. In fact, everything shows us how it's getting worse. Is the same true if you have a wife that's a bad actor? that the husband is is pouring love and and um you know loving as as his own self or whatever is that is the flip side of that true that that also is enabling and whatever or is that like is that the side that if the husband has that takes that responsibility that it has the potential to to raise the marriage or i like and i'm not asking this with an agenda i'm like i'm legit curious if one of those used if pulling the one lever without the other one being pulled pulls the marriage down, is so, the mirror that true? So I will really want to hear what the rest of you guys have to say about this, but I'm going to cut out of here. So I'm just going to quick give it, try to give a brief response and then leave. Uh, but, but uh, <clears throat> the, I would say that because we're talking about a hierarchy, that actually is not the case. That's not mutually true. Um, the father l makes his, his son rise on the evil and his rainfall on the evil and on the good on the just and on the unjust the generosity that's flowing down the hierarchy um is is un it's un uh, unconditional um that's what leadership is about is that you continue to bless whether those who are in a position to receive that blessing are interested or not um mm -hmm. And, and so there was, there was one other little connected point that I thought I might make, but, um, yeah, I guess, I guess I've, yeah, I've, I've taken over the conversation so long the enough now. So responsibility, the responsibility on the husband to love as Christ loves his church is there regardless, because that's flowing down, but because her that's to submit is contingent on that on that flowing is that what you're saying that's what i believe yes and i would agree i think that i, I and it has its limits i mean there's a place there's a place of unbelief where spouses can separate the mm -hmm. unbeliever can choose to leave right mm -hmm. but but the the greater responsibility to make sure things go the right way is is on is on the man the headship order mm -hmm. so this is a this is a greater like this is and this is where that order thing comes from is god looks at the man at the at the husband and says it's got to start with you flowing right. from you yeah and i think that's modeled even in the gospel itself like jesus has come to save the world it's not, mm -hmm. it doesn't work perfectly, but his benevolence and what he's doing is affecting every place. Mm -hmm. So if I could take us back 
Um, it, I want to do, and this is actually me trying to do some PR for you tonight, Matthew. If I could take us back to the question, I, I just want to straight answer. I like being a villain, Titus. <laughs> so can you, can you affirm the, these two statements? In, in a situation like the example I gave, and I, I want to be clear, like Brenda has reasons for not getting vaccinated. For one, she probably still has natural immunity because she most likely had COVID um, and, and has other reasons too. Now, I, I, I obviously don't think there are good enough reasons that I agree, but um, she is thinking clearly as well. Um, but, but in this example, um, it, would it be wrong? I, I want to just hear a yes or no answer. Would it be wrong for me to say, based on, on my understanding of what these vaccines, how they provide protection, would it be wrong for me to say, Brenna, I, I love you and I just, um, I'm going to have to pull rank here. I wouldn't use those terms. So I'm just, just going to have to tell you to, to go get vaccinated. Would that be wrong for me, number one? And number two, if I did that, and, and generally other than that, I was a, a great husband, but I did that. Would Brenna be sinning if she did not get the vaccine? Because these are the real life examples that I think are more important. Like we can agree on a lot of the foundational stuff. Like, sure, abuse is horrible. <laughs> like we all agree to that. But like, I think what, what people's concerns are, are these acts like, like how does this ideology actually flesh itself out in real life examples? And I tried to find something that was kind of on the edge which is why, I mean, I personally don't think it's on the edge. I think it would be very wrong for me to do it. And I don't think she would need to do it if I told her to. Um, but, but I'm curious because I think it was, it's kind of on the edge for you guys. I'm curious how you guys would respond to that. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't respond to the question, is it sin very well? Because it's a dumb question. Like, I, I don't think that there's, there's black and white lines in the sand where you, if you do an, a certain action, you're in sin. If you don't, you're not there's far too much complexity in these kinds of dynamic relationships for that kind of evaluation. What I would say in answer to your question though, is if, if you think it's, if you think it's an important matter as a leader to your wife, what I would say is, I think as, as your husband, I think this is really important that you do that you do it. I understand your objections. There's I'm not trying to force you or compel you in any way, but as your husband, as somebody who loves you dearly more than anybody else on earth, I would love to see you do this. And I think it's really important. And here's why you're going to have to make your own decision because that's how I see Jesus presenting, presenting his case to, to the people that he's sure. speaking to. But, but in the case of Jesus, if I disobey Jesus, I will go to hell. <laughs> So that's my question. If Brenna I don't disobeys my... No, that you, you're such a Mennonite. That's not how it works. But, 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 <laughs> yeah, if, if, so if, I, no, if you disobey Jesus consistently, you'll go to hell. Okay. If, if every time you have that conversation with your wife, she's always, dis, she's always saying, no, I'm going to go my own way, then, yeah, there's some serious problems. But uh, what I'm saying is the analogy is not perfect. Cause have Jesus you ever had, a, have you ever had a situation where you felt like Jesus was nudging you one way and you didn't go that way? Did you feel like you were going to hell or did you feel like you failed and you had to come back and set it in order? Okay. So that, that's a really good response. I, I don't think it's a perfect analogy. Like if I, I'm, I certainly have nudged Brenda to get the vaccine and it's not like a little bit later, she needs to be convicted and, and go do that. That's what I'm saying is not true. If Jesus nudged me to do something, the, the response for me is always to do it. Like if, if he nudges me to do something, I should always do it. Whether I think it not, would be, I table. think it would be better if you think it's an important matter for your home, for your wife to listen to you. 
unless she has very strong objections and then then you guys have to talk about that so all this stuff has a tiered priority like if that's whether or not we buy roast beef or chicken then you're dumb for pushing it around like it's not it doesn't matter and so you have to evaluate for your home like what are the risk factors like what are her reasons for saying no is she does she have health factors like all that has to be evaluated in this scenario like it's not it's not a black or white. I don't think that you as the husband just get to say, I'm the boss, go do what you say or you're in sin. Mm -hmm. I also don't think that a wife can just continually say, I'm not listening to you. I'm going my own way. Neither of those so, extremes are, are, yeah. are acceptable. I'm, I'm trying to find the distinction between us. And, and Drew, because you're a Mennonite. No, it's, I think it's important. Not that I'm trying to like divide with you or, or whatever on a certain right. issue. I'm just trying to see where the differences actually are. So so what I hear you saying is if, if I nudge, which I have nudged her to get the vaccine, probably more, more than that, um, and, and, and she's choosing not to get it. And I think that's perfectly fine for her to do that in, in, in situations like this. I think it would be wrong for me to, to not be fine with that. I think what I'm hearing you say is it would be better in this situation for her to go get vaccinated. Is that correct? Is that a fair representation? I mean, if, if, if you take all the like specifics apart and just say case X husband thinks it is best for the family case Y wife thinks this is better. And there's a conflict between those two wills. It's, it's better if nobody's being forced for the wife to submit in her place of order and say, Hey, I'm not being asked to sin. It's not wrong to do it. I just want to follow my husband. So, so here's another example of this, and this is and what I mean by mutual submission. Um, it, when, we were in, when we were in India, Brenna wanted Zion, our, our kids, to drink like super safe water, like safe to the nth degree, right? So filtered twice or whatever the situation was. I'm like, yeah, he shouldn't drink water out of a puddle, but he'll be fine. Um, and, and in that situation, because Brenna is more emotionally connected to our child, she's like, at least when they're that young, I think the mother is, and it's more her thing to make sure this baby stays safe. Like that's a very, it's a mothering instinct. Even though I think she's wrong, I submit to her in that situation. And this goes for a lot of things. Like, um, you know, we sell puppies and that's kind of her business that she does. So if she says something like in, in regard to that, like I'm, I think she's more, she's more skilled in that area. So I'm going to submit. Um, so base, we submit to each other basically uh, based on who has more experience in, in a certain field, who, who has more expertise. And it happens purely or organically. Now, having said that she submits more often than I do. Um, that's based partially on, on personality, but it, it's also based on what she believes in scripture. So I do think like I said earlier, there's more submission that needs to happen on the side of the wife. But I, I'm trying to bring up these examples because like with, with examples like the vaccine example, I think I would be wrong to like <laughs> to push that on her. And I think she, it's I a bad example because you don't really think it's that important. I do. actually. I certainly well, do. you don't. If you think it's fine that she goes her own way, like I, if I, it was well, a moral imperative, like, OK, let's put the scenario a little bit different. Let's say let's say uh, all of the all of the health factors lead towards um, like risk family risk factors for I don't know your parents live with you and their immune con I don't care create the scenario where there's just like 900 reasons why it's 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 morally dangerous for to take the risk to not be vaccinated 
and you know those are real risks and you're like babe we got to do this like my parents live here we're we're in the middle of an outbreak i i know that we're going to get sick and i know that you're going to cause the death of my mother if you don't get vaccinated and she's living here you you really need to do this i still don't think you can force her but in that case do you think she should listen uh, how how much more persuasive would you be in your leadership if that was the case instead of like hey here's all the general like you i'm for it and you're against it and it's kind of a wash and i'm not really that insistent i just think it would be better i actually well in that situation i think she would get it without me pushing her. I actually am, like, I think everyone listening to this call should go get vaccinated right now if you're not vaccinated. I think the fact that Christians are not getting vaccinated is horrible. Like, I, I'm very passionate about this. I'm also passionate about husbands not wielding, like, abusive authority over their wives, which is why I think my wife is fine. Like, I, I don't think she's fine, but I think she's fine. Um, it's also sense. not I do, a moral I do want to move peril. On from this example, though, I'm tired. Of, I don't know if she wants to be talking about. I, yeah, I don't much. mean to drag your wife. It would have been better to talk about case X. But, <laughs> but I think the the question of leadership in the home and headship has to do with these factors. It's not just you don't just get to pick willy nilly. Like I think things that are morally imperative, things that have to do with the spiritual direction of your home, are we have to have we have to have more finesse and more leadership skills. Like. I don't, I don't care what we have for supper. I don't care about a lot of things. And God doesn't care about a lot of things. God doesn't care if I wear an orange shirt or a blue shirt. Like he just doesn't care. That doesn't mean he's a poor leader or I'm bad at submitting. It just means there's a whole bunch of things that just plain don't matter. And then there's an escalating tier of how much things matter. And mm-hmm. as you go up, as you ascend up the importance, it's more important that the, the leadership and submission dynamic is in place. The more is at risk on any given decision. But ultimately, like, and, and in the case you gave, like drinking the water and stuff, I guess it's going to come down to, in that case, uh, I feel like for me, that's loving her as my own body. I don't think it's important. I don't think it's that big of a deal, but she does. Like yeah. sometimes to me, it's, it's it's a matter of balancing. Like this is super important to you and not very important to me. Well then like, why would I go and push it? But the issue comes when it's really super important to both of us. And now what do we do? But at the same time, I think this is a rule and I haven't lived this out perfectly in my marriage. Um, I mean, there have been times where I would look back and I've gone back and had to make it right and say, you know what, I shouldn't pull rank on you like that. I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have pushed you like that. Because every time that I've done that, it hasn't been the right decision. Not even because I was wrong, but gotta listen to your wife. But because it's not loving her as my own body. It's not like if she's doing it because she feels like she has to do it because she's been pushed into it, then I haven't been, I pretty much, um, as a rule, that's, that's a demonstration. I haven't been the leader that I should have been because it shouldn't have come to that. We should have figured out some way that we can both feel good about where we're coming out. Um, like that's, that's the, that's the gold standard. And obviously there's going to be the times when those conflicts come, but that picture of coming together and if she feels like she's being taken care of then she can look at me 
and I, and I think this is really important with the, with the submission aspect that yes, there is that call to submit, but if that's that submission is part of me looking at her and say, you know what, Treva, I know you don't see it this way, but I care about you. And this is where I see it. And I think this is so important for this that I think it's really important for you to do it. Even if you don't see it. And if the relationship has been at the point where she actually trusts that I can see around the corner that she's not seeing around, because that's what I've lived out. And that's the, the care that I've shown. And it's not just about a self-serving agenda. She's more likely to be able to look and say, Hey, I trust you. I hear where you're coming from. I'm willing to do that. You know, I'm willing to take the vaccine or whatever, but like, I still think that's a rare, I still think that's an incredibly rare situation to be in because you should be able to be able to find out what somewhere we can come out that we both feel good about. So let me, let me, let me back at you, Titus. I, I pushed already on why it should be that, that, that the scriptures lean. You're frozen for me. Is he frozen for you, Dave? Yeah, frozen for me too. Even if I, even if I granted your mutual submission to the scripture, am I still Maybe cut start, the, start the spiel over. Am I with you now? You're, You're yes. good now. If let's, let's push a little bit on back the other way. Uh, I already mentioned why should it be the case that, that the scriptures lean nine times out of 10 on, on women's submission, even if we grant the mutual submission case, which I don't grant, but if we did for the sake of argument, why, why is it? So I've articulated why I think I see this source of order in the Trinity why do you think women wear head coverings? Why do you think women are, are spoken of so often in the scriptures? Like, it's not an isolated case and it's not grasping at straws. There's a lot of text about this order of relationship and where women and men fit into it respectively. How do you sort out why that is from the scriptural arguments? I haven't actually looked into that much. I'm not really prepared to answer that. I, I did... I did agree that there is a, a basis for it in, in, the, in God himself and in the, the cosmos and, and, and for both the head covering and for these things. Now, how all that works out, I know people get really mad at you when you start talking about this. I, I, don't, I don't know why they get so mad, <laughs> to be honest. I think you've maybe stretched it a little too far in, in some cases, and, um, but I, I don't really... I have a whole bunch of other things I wanted to talk about, but that's not one of the, one of the things I'm really prepared to talk about. Well, it's an important place to begin because why it should be is, is, is an important perspective. Like we read all those, all these verses about where women fit into this, into this order and men respectively. And like, there has to be some kind of underlying principle to approach these with, if we're going to make heads or tails of why it should be. Sure. So, I mean, if, if you look at studies about the differences between men and women, men are generally more aggressive, women are more nurturing. Um, so I think there's differences beside genitalia, and that could be a, one of the reasons why um, these things are spelled out the way they are in scripture. 
I don't know if, if that's a very simple answer, but no, I think I it's good. I mean, I think yeah. that's where I begin my approach to these issues too, is, is rooted in biology. And it's not just in genitalia, but it's also in bone mass and muscle mass and, and testosterone versus estrogen and what they do in the body and how they shape who we are and what our identities are. And there again, you know, you still have these questions of outliers, but we have 90% of people that fit within pretty standard domains just biologically. And so I, I'm just grasping at numbers. I don't know what it is, but the super majority of people all fit within these domains. Like testosterone does something to your body. Estrogen does something to your body. Like bone mass and size make a difference in how we experience the world and what we can and can't do. So I think those are indicators of why God created us such. I mean, the fact that women are created to bear life and that, that men with their hairy faces and hairy bodies and increased muscle mass and, and, and the capacity to work, like speaking the ancient world's perspective, like it makes sense to me looking at the creation that one of these members is supposed to go out and, and provide for a place so that they're somewhere safe to raise young, like just mm -hmm. the continuation of the species, like biologically speaking outside of theology, like that all makes sense. If, if that's the case and that's a part of the created order, then that's, that's a place to begin looking at why is our psychological and spiritual makeup? How does it relate to that kind of order? Yeah, I wanted to I wanted to talk about um, a few other things. I actually I was about a third through my spiel, and then we got derailed for an hour. <laughs> so maybe I'll, I'll I'll do a little monologuing here of my own. But the reason why most of my memes are targeting the patriarchy, and 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 the the reason why I have been lumped with with the left on this issue probably is because I think that what we emphasize matters. And this is my primary critique of the patriarchalists, that it's, it's a matter of, of misdirected emphasis. So if you look at like what the New Testament was trying to do in a lot of cases in this conversation in relation to their context, like it was pretty radical stuff. Like the fact that, and it's even radical in our day, the fact that Paul talked about coworkers for the gospel. Like I, I never hear conservative like Mennonites, for example, or kingdom Christians hardly ever talk about my coworker for the gospel and then name a lady. Like if some, like if a, if a, if, if someone at KFW got up, even if like Finney got up at KFW and was like talking about this amazing coworker he has for the gospel and named a woman and said how great she would she was doing, that would be kind of like there'd be some raised eyebrows. I think. Let me stop you um, because I do that. I, I yeah, just spent well, the last two weeks utterly dependent on the on the radical powerful dynamic ministry of single women like single Good. women have been integral to my ability to do any kind of ministry in the church in the last year so i think that's good so all all, all the, the folks listening who hate matthew you listen listen up when he says some things like that and give him i some don't points. think he he didn't i just had to look and i just had to look he didn't refer to him as um he didn't refer to him as his co-workers he referred to him as his homegirls but um <laughs> <laughs> got it so that's one that example if you look in the greek it's the same it really is the same, same word <laughs> yeah so that's one example there's a bunch there's a bunch more examples like the fact that when all the disciples had fled 
from, from the scene of, of the crucifixion, there's these women who, who stuck with Jesus. The women were the first ones to discover the empty tomb and were the first apostles, in a sense. And if you determine apostle by people who are bearing the good news of the resurrection of Jesus, um, the fact that Jesus was financially supported by women, uh, the fact that he even had so was Paul. followers. Mm-hmm. So was Paul. There you go. See, Matthew's, Matthew's helping us out, everybody. Um, so so if, if our posture is just hammering male headship, hammering male headship, I think that's, that's tone deaf for a couple of reasons. Like with the Me Too movement, I know you guys stand against um, sexual abuse vehemently. So I'm, I'm not accusing you of this, but I think at least in the controversy in the dank kingdom, it is, you guys do come across as like just hammering the headship. And I think that can be tone deaf in, in a society where, um, where there's the Me Too movement, where there's tons of abuse. And especially with like this idea of the upside down kingdom, where most of what we do is challenge power, like and point out abuses to power. Like that's a very Christian thing to do. And, and another parallel to this is like church leadership. So I never hear you, you preaching sermons, you or Finney preaching sermons about like, dude, church leaders are an authority and you've got to submit. Right? I've never really heard that. In fact, like in, in our Followers of the Way Church in Richmond, like there were some things that you were very strongly trying to prescribe that we ended up not doing and there was no consequences. <laughs> So and and maybe you you think we should have done those things. I you probably do. Um, I do, but <laughs> so but my my point is the the posture followers the way has toward most power structures towards church leadership and there's a lot in scripture about obeying your leaders is seems to be different and out of line with this like pushing and pumping male headship all the time, um, and it seems out of line with the kingdom worldview in general. So I'm just saying maybe the emphasis should change. Um, and, and we should be really careful about how we do this. Like, I think we're careful about how we talk about LGBT. Like we believe in traditional marriage. Yes, but we're not going to be railing on gay rights all the time. Like, because, I mean, that, that, those people were, um, oppressed historically and are oppressed and marginalized today. And we care about them and love them. And Christians generally don't have a good rep with, with, with how they relate to the gay community. So we want to be sensitive about that, or even the race conversation. Like we're not constantly railing against CRT, even if we don't disagree, even if we disagree with CRT, because that's tone deaf. Um, and I think the same holds true for this conversation. Uh, so I think that's a very good, that's a very good critique and, I, and it deserves an answer. I think it's a matter of perspective. So, what what my experience is like my vantage point in the church and in the world and where I live is that living in a post-sexual revolution post-christian world the ideas that the that that the bible expresses and espouses about gender and about what our identity is in in the context of marriage is is a countercultural message and it's not it's not it doesn't have the ring like I don't, if I lived in the fifties, maybe I'd, maybe I'd agree with your perspective. Like, I think that, that in the post, in post sixties world, like in the women's lib world that we live in, in Western civilization, to say that, to say that there is an order that men and women fit in, especially within a marriage 
is exactly the kind of jarring statement that the apostles were making in the first century and would make again today. I mean, the, 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 the problem with your perspective is that what you're saying would be a hundred times more, more impactful to Paul in the first century. Yeah, he wrote all these things that he wrote. And so there must be some way that we can espouse and endorse these things, especially in the church, like in a public platform perspective and say, there is an order to how these things are supposed to work. These things are what they are. And here's how we counteract the potential abuses and problems with those structures. Like I do talk about church authority, actually talk about it quite a bit. It's just that I think there's supposed to be a balanced perspective. So when I feel like I'm in an environment where everybody's railing against the patriarchy and everybody's got a, a, a case that they want to make for why women don't have to submit, I want to lay out the case for why they should. Like that's why the dynamic is what it is in the DKCM world, especially in that world, because it's been the free sisters controversy for the last year. Well, I mean, you could say the same thing about the race conversation. Like there's definitely a lot of folks who have gotten pretty goofy on the left about race. <laughs> and, and yet I still don't see you railing against CRT. Like, like if you're, if you really want to be a rebel about race, go be a Candace Owens. Like they're the ones standing against the flood of culture. Right no, now. I don't agree, but I don't agree with that. Like, I don't, I'm not saying that I say things that I don't agree with if they're controversial. I'm saying that some of the things I believe are controversial and some of them aren't. And, and I think an even keel of the scripture, not far be it for me to call myself the even keel. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that where I feel like representation for truth is needed, I want to speak to it. And I don't, I don't feel like those things are out of balance. Like I, I don't, I don't feel like, I don't feel like the two are the same case for a whole host of reasons like race and gender. So, so if we compare this, I think a, a better comparison might be with church leadership. So suppose that every, virtually every church just abandoned church leadership for the most part and was pretty organic about how that, like, well, let's say that they believe that the, the positions of church leadership were, um, were not offices, but were more just functional gifts. Um, and, and you believe that they're offices, like, would you be doing the same thing? In Absolutely. That situation? And, and, and in similar night, again, just because I do this doesn't mean it's, it's right or balanced, but I do the same thing with the word Bishop. Like everybody's everybody in the plain world has been hurt by a Bishop. I, I won't shy away from the word Bishop. It's a biblical word. And I don't believe in giving up those terms because they've been abused. I believe there's principles about the bishopric and about what that title means and how it functions in the Bible that have to be vindicated and, and espoused. So if I'm, if I'm going into a, like where I come from in Oregon, a hotbed of home churchy, like loosey goosey libertarian fellowship meetings that have no structure, no governance and no discipline. Of course, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about the bishopric and what it means to have elders and deacons and how to organize ourselves and what it means to submit yourselves to the leaders. Like that function is important in, in the case that in the case of church leadership, like I don't have a whole lot of room to talk about bishops. Like it's not something I can come crashing around about. We don't even have bishops in our churches. Like I, there's a process that the church is going through. Um, that disposes me to speak about those things in certain terms. Like, 
to develop, this is way past the scope of this conversation, but to be developing new churches as a church planter in infant stages where they don't have bishops because of the way we articulate church ecclesiology, like that's not the, we don't approach those issues that way, but they're very important that, that those structures be there and be understood and be maintained and provided for. Okay. Um, what, one more thing I wanted to press you on, and then I'm through my notes. <laughs> um, so I, I, I heard you talk about First Corinthians 11, and, and this right. comes down to followers the way and, and how women don't ask questions in Boston, but do in Richmond. <laughs> um, in First Corinthians 11, I've, I've heard you say that, that the prophesying that happens with, with the covered head is not in the context of a church meeting, correct? Say that again now. In the, First the Corinthians 11, it's not talking about the meeting? Correct. When it talks about women prophesying with their heads covered. I mean, it's not speaking specifically of the meeting. Okay, but, but you assume that it's not because women can't prophesy in meetings, right? I don't think women can speak in the church, yeah. So that would include prophesying. Okay, so the first half of First Corinthians 11 is not about a, a church gathering. The second half of the passage is about the Eucharist, right? So, and, and I've heard, I've heard Finney do this too, where he, he tries to make a big deal out of like the way that that chapter is sectioned off. And he's clearly talking about something new when he gets into the Eucharist and, and therefore like definitely women can't speak in the Eucharist. Well, he Here's says when you thing. gather together. At the beginning of the, like in verse 17. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, so there you go. Um, and, and this is the trap I'm pulling you to. So. Here, here's the weird thing is that follows the way allows women to speak during the Eucharist. That's the, that's the half of the, the service that they are allowed to speak in. That doesn't make any sense to me. And what I'm saying by this is there is an arbitrary cutting off point at some, at some level. So in Richmond, like we haven't made a hard and fast rule that during the public meeting, the women cannot speak or ask questions. And, and, and I think what you would say is, well, you're not obeying the Bible. They're clearly not allowed to speak or ask questions. They need to allow their husband at home. To which I would say, no, you're just making that line a little further back. Women can speak during the Eucharist, which is certainly like the central part of the gathering. I assume they can. They can in most, most Boston churches. Yeah, sure. So like, so, so why, are you, why are you making, or, or I, I guess my, my point is like, you, you can't have it both ways with First Corinthians 11, number one. And number two, to make the point that like, at some level, you're not following that extremely, like, like totally literally either, if you're allowing women to speak during agape. I don't, I don't think that the prohibition of speaking in the assembly has anything to do with that. It has to do with the church giving a, 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 a teaching and a proclamation. Like, the church is speaking authoritatively in that meeting in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. It's not like, about speaking authoritatively. It's about asking questions. You're not even allowed to ask questions. No, no. You, you don't understand what I'm saying. Part of that that meeting, the public assembly where the church gives teaching, and so we have records of this going back to Justin Martyr, like how the Christian meeting has functioned, historically speaking. There's an intimate family gathering, the love feast. That's that's the that's the table, and after that, well, or sometimes before, depending on whenever, there's a public pronunciation of what the church teaches and believes. And in that part where the church is making a declaration of this is official truth of the church, women aren't supposed to speak. It's a clear distinction. Like, that's why it would be so. 
So that might be the case in the early church. I don't have the, the references well, it's, it's for that. It's true in Corinthians too. No, no. What? I, well, okay. Let me ask you this: In Corinthians, I see something much more organic happening, where it, people are. There's a tongue. There's an interpretation. There's a prophecy. I don't see like this sectioning off of the Lord's Supper from an authoritative teaching time. Um, okay. I, I so feel like it's, where where is where are women not supposed to speak then? Because he does say that. I don't know. All, all, you're the one that has so a problem, not me. Is, all I'm saying is you're not being completely consistent. And well, here's so you're not at I, all consistent, and I'm not completely consistent. There you go. <laughs> this is actually why this is actually why I am not extremely hard on egalitarians because they say, "Oh, the prohibition of, of women teaching was cultural." Well, I, I'm kind of doing the same thing with with women speaking, and I think you are too, in some sense, because you're letting them speak during agape. Um, so I'm not saying I have the answer to that text. I just don't think that like that 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 you can be extremely dogmatic about the way follows the way is, is applying it as like like if you don't do this, you're just you're clearly in disobedience because like it's not that simple. Let me rise to, because I've had I've had this conversation with Matthew with other on other issues. Um, so I'm going to rise a little bit to Matthew's defense because I'm his I'm not his homeboy. I'm his fanboy. So I guess that's the same thing. <laughs> Oh, maybe both. But um, I think, uh, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Matthew, because I'm kind of speaking for you. Um, my perspective on that is not so much that I've never gotten the idea from followers of the way that their interpretation is the only one. Now, if you push them on it, they're going to say, here's why we believe it. But they're saying the verse means something. And so this is what we think the verse means. Now, if your church thinks the verse means something else, we're probably not going to quibble about that. We may be like, well, we're not really sure because of this hermeneutic or because of what the patristic said or whatever, but it means something. You have some time in your service where this prohibition on women speaking applies. Right. And, and if you just have the time, you have a 10 minute time or a five minute time where you're like, this is where this proclamation is made where women are silent, like where you're living that out. That's, that's, yeah what it's more about rather than you, you you take it to the extreme because now we're just talking about we're, we're talking about a, a movable boundary but the issue is do you think it means what it says and sure. then we, we can debate how we're going to apply what it means like am so I, am I here? yeah that's that's a good that's a good point I, i'm i have a, i have a proposal that just popped into my head but i'm curious does your mennonite church apply that in any way well, we just, I mean, we don't, what ladies, like nobody asks questions during the sermon and it's not a lady. Well, the women give testimonies. Right. right. But then afterward, women would give testimonies and followers of the way would have, wouldn't you have a time where women can share something the Lord did for them or whatever? I, I don't know. I've never. Well, we would use, we would use the agape time for that. Okay. So like there is a time for that. And so then, I think Go ahead. this is why this subject is frustrating to me. Because Paul says what he says. And the very fact, even if you said, look, we want to leave things open for the women to be able to minister as much as we can, but we also want to follow what the Bible teaches. And so we're going to have, we're going to have a two-minute period where women are not allowed to talk just because we want to make sure we're fulfilling what it says. The free crowd would have a major issue with that and find it offensive just for the sake that that thing exists. And I have an issue with that. That's one of my big deals. It's like, it's not okay to look, and we're not even trying, like, all we want to do is make sure that base is covered, and that's not good enough. 
Like, can you not yeah. see what I, I get it. I, I here's my here's a proposal I have that just popped into my head. It seems like the the, the situation, at least in, in one of those texts, is women were like interrupting. Um, maybe I'm wrong there, but so what if you would say that okay, women are not supposed to teach or hold authority over men. So there's a time when a man is teaching. Women don't interrupt that time. Don't don't ask questions. Don't like usurp authority. But afterward, like if if you want to share a testimony or or something that blessed you from the sermon or even clarify something, um, that that would be okay. Would that be an acceptable way to apply that to you, Matthew? Or would you I, I don't still- think it would because the specifics that he mentions there are if if the women have questions, they should ask at home. Like they he wants that to run back through the home channels. Like if you have questions about the church's teaching, go talk about it at your table. And I don't think that's wrong to say. What like, about a there's testimony? a way to vet that. The, there's a way to vet that conversation through the household. And I don't think that's an insult to women. It says, let's make this an in-house issue. If, if dear sister, if you have a, if you have a question about the church's teaching, like we're at the Sunday meeting and the church says something and you think, I'm not sure if that's so. Does the Bible teach that? Paul's saying, ask your husband. And I don't think it's because women are inferior. I think it's because he wants to keep the order. Like, talk about it as a group. Talk about it as a couple. Sit at your table, ask that question, vet it out, look at the scriptures as a home. And then, then, if, then if the question needs to be brought forward, then bring it forward. That, that's a process through which these things can work. And I just don't have any problem saying he said that. That's a good way to do it. So what- would you be okay with it? Yeah, there you go. That was my one question. My other question was, if after the main service closes and you're sitting around the living room talking, would you would you be offended if a, a single girl or even a married woman came up and asked you a question? No, it happens all the time. So what's the difference? Because I mean, what? How is how is headship suddenly not a not the whole argument you made was about order and headship and and the way things should happen? Why does suddenly this arbitrary cutoff point where the service is over change that? Because because there is a text that tells us how to behave in that specific environment, like there's a decorum for that specific area, like when we're in this place together, when the church is speaking in declarative ways, like the church is the pill and the ground of truth, and and there's supposed to be an assumption that when we speak, like there is a channel to vet and ask questions, the brothers can try things, they can ask questions, whatever the case is. But there's an order in this space. What about a single woman or a widow? Let me finish. So so in this protected space, like I believe women can prophesy. Not only can, I believe women should prophesy. I believe women should exercise all their gifts. I'm I'm all in favor of that. There's one protected space where the church says, this is where men speak with authority and women don't this space right here and i don't like dave was alluding to if you want to move the mark from here to here or here to there here to here i'm not gonna i'm not gonna throw stones about that all i know is that in this space when the church is speaking with authority about what she teaches and believes what she wants to rebuke and admonish this space we all sit in order and and that's a protected space we leave it as it is now, if we want to sit around after that space, if it, why should she not prophesy there? Like, 
is the assumption that she can't prophesy? No, it's just the it's just the command. You don't do it here. This is a space where men are supposed to do that. So, so to clarify, and I think this is me doing this is me doing PR for you again. Like if if after the service closes, one of the the sisters in your church stands up and and whatever you think prophesying is like a really charismatic version would be like, I okay, church, God is telling me that like right. so and so and so is. And you, you right. would stand at attention. You'd be like, wow, the spirit is speaking directly to the sister. I'm going to listen. Outside of this meeting. Correct. Well, right afterwards, two minutes afterwards. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't have a problem with women prophesying. I, I've had women prophesy over me. I love it. It's great. Fantastic. My, my wife wears a head covering specifically so she can't prophesy. And pray and doesn't need to when she's not praying and prophesying. <laughs> so what about testimonies? What about, testimonies? what about a testimony after this after the sermon in the formal gathering? Do you have a problem with that? We yeah, we just have women be silent in that time. We have other you get spaces that from for Paul, that. Be silent. Did he say be silent? <laughs> yeah, I know he did. <laughs> uh, okay, that makes sense. I, I, that's fair. Um I don't, I don't, I doubt that made anyone less mad, but it was clarifying for me. Yeah, well, yeah, I think it may, it may, may have made you less mad at least. <laughs> I, I feel like, I, I still feel like I had a little gotcha moment there, the way I teed that whole First Corinthians 11 thing up. I, I know you wanted it, but I think you were grasping. Yeah. <laughs> no, honestly, another, a, an interesting conversation for another time would be the way that the gathering is described in First Corinthians feels like a very wishy-washy charismatic house church gathering like it, it feels very spontaneous it does not feel like three songs from the hymn on a sermon mm -hmm. um and i think if we're not experiencing that sort of charismatic manifestation the nar stuff that i'm a big fan of that that's a problem uh. <laughs> like a tired sigh everyone's bent we're not going to get into this. No, we're not. We're going to talk about the patriarchy tonight. Maybe, maybe we could do questions. People are well. We're at we're at we're at two hours and ten minutes now, at least that uh, we've been on Zoom. So uh, maybe we should leave. Yeah. Are you tired of this? You don't want to take passive aggressive yeah. questions. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I don't I don't mind. I it's kind of my jam, but I I really you know men, is my. As much as I is as much as my reputation precedes me on this issue, it's actually it, it's not super high on my priority list. Yeah, I let's feel like move on my churches it. are in order, and that's what I care about. And if other people don't, if people feel differently in their marriages and their churches, it's not it's not really my problem. Yeah, I'd, I'd be ready to move on from this conversation. I mean, I've I've had a conversation uh, on this podcast for about two hours with four white males about women wearing pants, and now I've had another one with four white males about women speaking in church. So I've I've lost all my woke points. Um, so, so I'd be happy. Sounds, to... sounds biblical to me. I, I'd be not the white part, um, <laughs> and I, I feel like women were involved in those conversations, at least in the podcast. <laughs> but well, yeah, no. Yeah. I think we've beaten this dead horse. I, I do appreciate the opportunity to talk about these things, though. Mm -hmm. It's good to have have some airing of opinions. Yeah, yeah. And I, it's been it's been interesting. Like it's been helpful for me. I guess I and I and I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again. 
Now, part of the reason why I am so, um, part of the reason, like, Matthew, in his teaching on headship, has been really, really beneficial in my life. Um, from the sense of, I guess, my experience would have been, I'd grown up pretty, um, pretty hardline, um, you know, women's submission, that's a pretty strong teaching in, in the plain setting that I would have grown up in. And then I would have kind of gone more toward a, um, I don't know if you'd say egalitarian or not, but sort of a little bit almost that my wife and I were living um, parallel lives. You know, I'm doing my thing, she's doing her thing. And in conversations over the last year and a half, um, I've realized the, that importance of that, that two people becoming one in my role in that as the head, as loving her as my own body and like that became alive to me in a way that it's that it hadn't before and it changed our relationship and I think that's my biggest frustration with a lot of this conversation that I hear is I don't feel like egalitarian does what it says on a tin I just I don't feel like it does I feel like it strips the magic out of what the marriage relationship is supposed to be then turns it into a partnership and it's not a partnership it's something more than just two people being partners it's you become part of each other in a in a mystical magical way that requires the two of you to interact in the way that's described in 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 ephesians and i'll be the first one to say and don't pull my wife because she'll agree but i do a really lousy job living that out but i notice that as i live that out and as i look to that model as how I'm supposed to interact with her, it changes everything about the way that we relate. It changes everything for the better. And it's hard. It's really hard. And that's that's why I feel like I feel like the the reaction that we've seen against patriarchy or headship or whatever has had the effect of taking the the yoke off men's shoulders to step up and be what God's called them to be. And it's making the issue worse when really what needs to be happening is we need to be looking at, at these vile, coercive men and saying, you're not doing what God's called you to do. Like right. you claim to believe this, that you're the head of the home and the priest of the home and on and on it goes. And here you are not loving your wife as your own body. And that's the first requirement for you to be the head of your wife. And if you want to be a tyrant and you want to use her for your own gratification, you don't get to pretend like you're being Christ to, to, to your head of your body. That's malarkey. And I feel like I feel like egalitarianism that takes away that that model guts the church's ability to look at the guy and say, dude, for real, what is wrong with you? And I know people like that. I could tell you horror stories. I won't for a variety of reasons, but everybody's heard of just absolute horror stories of these kind of things that men will, you know, quote in 1 Corinthians 7, so they get to have sex with their wife whenever, and all this kind of thing, which is not what the Bible is teaching. You don't own her. You're members of each other. If she's hurting, you're hurting. And if you don't get that, your body is sick. Your, your, your marriage is sick. And we don't, it feels like we live in a world that doesn't have the ability to teach that because we don't have the framework to be able to teach it from. 
And that's why I feel like this conversation is so incredibly important. That's why I feel like this conversation and this, and this teaching is absolutely life-changing in a way that none of what I feel like are the, the substitutes it can possibly touch. And it's a known fact that within egalitarianism, there's all kinds of people that slip through with all kinds of toxic behavior, but because they say nice things about equality and women and stuff, they get away with it. Like it's a tactic, it's a tool. And, and so, but, but we can't talk about that because it sounds good. But to me, the call of Christ to men is to step up and love your wife as your own body. She is part of you is so crucial to this whole understanding. And so it was, it was life, it's been life-changing for me. It continues to be life-changing for me as I learned to walk in and live it out. And that's what I want for, that's what I want for everybody. I want everybody to be able to experience that. And so like, it's, this is more than just an academic discussion to me. This is personal. What does it mean for me and my home as I get up every day and put my shoes on and, and go to work and walk beside my wife? How do I love her? Mm-hmm. How do I avoid sticking my arm in the wood chipper and so that's where that's where my passion comes out of and nobody who ever told me that it was a 50 50 partnership was ever able to help me to love my wife and walk with her as christ taught me to and so that's that's my message that's why i care about this not because i want to subjugate my wife but because i want to be the christ in my home that god's called me to be yeah, amen, brother. Uh, I think for me, the closing thought is uh, in this in this conversation, I'm so tired of people telling me what things don't mean. Uh, every time I, I engage in this conversation, it's like, well, that's dumb and it doesn't mean this and it doesn't mean that. And, and it's easy to just say, okay, well, tell me what it does mean. Uh, it's dumb if, if women can speak after the church breaks up their meeting, but not before. Okay, well, tell me what it does mean. Tell me when she is supposed to be silent. Tell me why she is supposed to ask her husband at home. Tell me why she is supposed to have power of authority on her head. Tell me why the order is the way it is. Tell me why it says so many things to women. And that, that it's like, I feel like it's like talking to conspiracy theorists sometimes when I'm with the free folk. It's like, you don't have to present or articulate any kind of defensible thing you just have to shoot holes at something else and that's your whole argument if you want to if you want to make a dent in the patriarchy give biblically sound teaching about what these things do mean instead of what you think they don't mean and that's that's what will be compelling so that's a that's a tip to anybody that wants to dismantle the patriarchy i have one more thing somebody in the comments said and i already know the i feel like i probably know already know the answer but if you want to go on record matthew um this is my, this is a, is a comment. I'll just read the comment and then you can respond. One of my frustrations with the term patriarchy is because it literally means father rule. I'm not totally opposed to Matthew's view on husbands and wives, though I'm not in agreement. But the term patriarchy conjures up fathers being the head of their daughters until their daughter is married. Does Matthew embrace this aspect of patriarchy? Um, I, I don't know how to answer that exactly. I, I mean, my daughter's, um, of a 21 year old daughter and a 20 do- 20 year old daughter and a 17 year old daughter. Um, the two of my older daughters are married. Uh, I mean, the two of my older daughters are baptized and the oldest one's married. Uh, my daughter who's 20, um, lives in, in, in Kampala for the last two years. And 
uh, I still feel like I have a strong influence on her life. You know, we had conversations about head covering a modesty just not too long ago. And she very much want, looks to me for opinions and, and direction and guidance. And I want to be that to her. Uh, but I don't, but when it comes time to her making her own decisions, she's a grown woman who's baptized in the church. Like I treat her like that. She has, she, ha she has her own power to make her own decisions. Um, I think that we're a close family and we rely on each other and, and care very much what each other thinks. That's the way I want it. I don't feel like I have any, I don't feel like I have any need or place to compel her to do anything because I think so. That's why I believe in adult conversion. So bleeding into a whole nother topic, the reason I advocate so strongly for adult conversion is that one aspect of, of the gospel call is the capacity to leave father and mother and follow Christ. And when a child becomes baptized, I feel like they're subject to Christ in the church. And that's a leaving of, of the household in certain ways. But I do feel still responsible for her. Um, I think the older she gets, the, the, the less I need to be involved with her life and her decision-making process. But I feel like, I don't know, that's a weird, it's a weird question to ask. I certainly feel like I have a, I, I certainly feel like I have, um, I don't feel, let me say it this way. I don't feel like being a father is the same as being a husband. There's a, there's a big difference between those two things, but I also feel like, um, the, and we didn't talk about this, Dave, but I feel like these, these components of what, of how this order works is more generalized in, into gender, um, because of the, because of the Corinthians passage, it, it, marriage is an exclusive relationship and only marriage is headship. So I don't consider myself the head of my daughters or my sons. Um, mm -hmm. I'm only the head of my wife, mm -hmm. but there are general, there are general, um, prescriptions in the scriptures about men and women regardless of their marital status so i could speak to that um i, I wanted to, to just mention that i mean I, I feel like i've been fairly personally affected by this whole idea of the man being the head of his daughter until he can hand her off to her husband's authority i think that is a load of bs <laughs> Um, and I've been very hurt by that ideology when I was trying to marry Brenna and it's a whole story and I don't want to throw anyone under the bus. So it wasn't Brenna's fault. <laughs> um, but I think that that's complete garbage. I don't, if, if I have daughters, um, which I'm hoping to not have any more children, <laughs> but if I have daughters, that's terrible. Um, Matthew's triggered dude, now. <laughs> dude, have, have three kids in 11 months and you might, you might agree. Um, Brenna wants daughters. So if we have daughters, I, I don't believe I have one more iota of authority over my daughter than I do over my son, especially when they become adults. I think that can lead to some pretty destructive things. Um, now you guys probably disagree with that a little bit. I don't know, but you're wrong if you do. Um, I did, I did want to mention, like Matthew, you said that a lot of the, your detractors are, don't seem to be logical. They don't answer straight questions. I, I think the reason, and I don't want to sound um, patronizing here, I think the reason why a lot of that is the case is because there's so much abuse of male authority, and we've talked about this ad nauseum tonight, so I'm not trying to go down this, this track again, but I, I think that a little bit of grace in, in these situations is, is necessary because of all the abuse that has happened. 
And if, if I have like, like as my final closing statement, I would much rather err on the side of a historically marginalized group. And e even if I erred on the side of, of being unbiblical in, in, in promoting their well-being, I would rather err on that side than err on the side of uh, the oppressor. And, and I think that's, as a Christian, that should be our posture in any of these conversations. Um, at the same time, like, I understand what you're saying. You're, you're saying to your convictions about what you believe scripture teaches. And I'm sure I wasn't as, uh, I, did, I didn't stand up enough for, for women's rights on this, on this episode and challenge you guys as much as most of the audience wanted. In fact, probably most of them are pretty angry with the fact that there's no women on the call. Which actually, I, I wasn't my idea, but um, I still joined the call with with all men, so <laughs> I guess I'm still culpable. But um, yeah, I don't know where I was going with that. That's that's. Well, go make your wife statement. a sandwich, and you can get some points back. Okay, we'll yeah. do. <laughs> well, well, I'll let you have the final word there. I I'll, I don't need to say anything more. Well, I, I just want to be clear, just in case anybody wasn't paying attention. So you would you would definitely repudiate the stereotypical three twenty uh, twenty seven twenty six and twenty five year old daughters still living home under still living at home under the control of their father because they haven't been married off. Like that's something you would clearly repudiate. I mean, I don't think she has any obligation to. I would be that's glad to I live mean. with my twenty seven year old single daughter, and I think she'd be glad to live with me. We'd be the best of friends, but. But she certainly doesn't. I, I mean, so my daughter's coming back from Kampala this fall and she plans to get an apartment with some single sisters. She wants to live close in my neighborhood. But yeah, mm -hmm. I don't I, I don't no. need to control her. Yeah, well, I, I knew She's that was the woman. Case, but I just wanted you to go on record because <laughs> I'm helping Titus do the PR here. Uh, all right. Well, <laughs> I, I need to cut you guys a check for my PR team. I, don't, well, I guess we'll see if you did any good. Yeah, for all the people who think Matthew's terrible, you're wrong. He's a great guy. Dave's not a Nazi either. Um, if you think that, then sorry, um, you're you're wrong there. <laughs> Titus is Titus is not. I would go to record saying Titus is not as uh, Titus is not as far out as I thought he was before we went on here. So he's not as woke I, as he pretends to be. Yeah, tattoo and all. I I think we probably agree on 95% of, of what's involved in this issue we discussed. And I'm, Let's I'm go 93. 93, yeah. We, we got tired. Yeah, that's probably true. Sounds All good. right, guys. Well, let's well, cut it. Well, bless you guys. Um, it was really good. I really enjoyed it. So we'll talk next time. All right. Thanks All right, for good night. Bye.